Welcome to another edition of Eusebius on Times Live. If Russian President Vladimir Putin were to arrive in South Africa tomorrow or later this year, should he be arrested? What does the law say? There's a political element to this question, but also a legal element to this question. And of course, the two are unmeshed. But in this episode, I want to focus specifically on the legal question. And I could think of very few people that would be more enjoyable as an interlocutor than Dr. James Grant, who many of you have fond memories of as an excellent former academic and teacher, as a professor at Wits University for several years. And he also briefly advocated within the South African legal system. Um, but we are grateful that his brain still remains intact. And of course, he is abroad, but he is keeping tabs on the minutiae of debate in South Africa, particularly at the intersection of law and politics. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people saw their children must know this are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they shared that zone. No, I'm not going to apologize. apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. James, thanks so much for coming on this platform. Always a pleasure. I thought this issue was cut and dried legally and my reasoning was simple yeah i thought to myself yes a treaty is a political animal but mm -hmm. once you sign it yes it starts getting a political animal becoming a legal one then when you domesticate it yes it becomes a source of domesticated law and then if Omar al-Bashir must be arrested based on that treaty that you're domesticated, then you should do so. Yes. And then to use pretentious Latin to impress you as my professor legal friend, mutatis, you mu me. mutatis mutandis, you should yes. do the same if Putin comes and Bob's yes. your uncle. Until James being nuanced sends a message in the blogosphere and says, hmm, I need to rethink this question. Yeah, it was uh, it was in the beginning uh, as straightforward for me as you describe. Um, of course, this is setting aside the question of uh, what the world should be and what should happen. Uh, I tried to focus very narrowly on digging away at what the law is um and it was drawn to my attention by a very good friend uh francisco zuka who had written uh, um with lillian chenwi on 
the difficulties in international law in respect of the problem as to the sources of law, which don't seem to have been solved. And the problem is this. The Rome Treaty, or Rome Statute as it's called, is what we call a convention. The head of state immunity arises out of the practice that has Mm -hmm. been observed between states, nation states, for a very, very long time. Mm. And that uh, is called um, customary international law. So you have now South Africa signing the Rome Treaty in international law. And at the same time, you have within international law, the recognition, very long standing, of uh, head of state immunity or mm. other official uh, immunity, and and that there's a very good reason for having this immunity, and it's to protect uh, diplomats from other countries performing mm. their duties without spurious interference. Mm. Um, you can imagine that if, for instance, uh, when I say spurious interference, you, you could imagine that if a particular country fell out of political favor, you might find that the diplomats could be subjected to spurious civil or even criminal accusations. Um, And you need to protect them against that so that they can do their function, which is effectively to be the messenger. Um, And the messenger needs to be protected. It's a fundamental... I I found it really interesting because I think you articulate two different, but in some Mm. ways related puzzles to work through. You still arrive back at your initial intentions, but we'll get to how you've solved this for yourself Mm. and imagine how you might handle this if you were a jurist and the question landed before you. But one of those puzzles has to do with if different sources of law say different things, How do you determine the hierarchy? And I thought to myself, I mean, firstly, I don't have a clue because my dabbling in law didn't get that far. But my intuition was that I would imagine the word domesticating must do some really important legal interpretation work. Because if I take that treaty and I domesticate Mm. it, part of what I must be doing surely is to say something about what status it must occupy in my legal landscape, no? You're absolutely right. Um, So what happened was that uh, this um, difficulty, which I referred to as uh, the sources of law problem, isn't solved. We don't know which one prevails. And so uh, we need to solve the problem somehow. And the way which uh, you've explained it, uh, and in fact, uh, the way that the Supreme Court of Appeal, when al-Bashir, uh, the al-Bashir matter was uh, finally appealed to the Supreme Court of Appeal in 2016, mm. uh, it's the route that they took. They first looked at uh, trying to solve the riddle of which source of law would prevail at international law. And they've actually stated quite expressly that, in fact, they can't solve the puzzle. So they went on to say, well, 
here we go. We have to move on. And we move on to consider the effect of us domesticating it. Let's turn our attention, they said, to the implementation of the Rome Statute in our law. And it's called the Implementation Statute. Um, and uh, you would expect that that would have been straightforward. Yeah. However, um, I have to say, with all due deference, uh, the drafters of that implementation statute hashed it because it's not straightforward. So, for instance, you have provisions which say that, uh, uh, on the one hand, uh, uh, well, say that a head of state may be uh, tried and punished and uh the question becomes, well, yes, but how on earth do you try somebody when there's no authority within the statute to arrest them in the first place? Exactly. I mean, it's, it's literally absent. Um, <laughs> and the problem there is that the drafters clearly went to the Rome statute and cut and paste that provision. So you just, just to add to the complexity, it exists in the Rome statute that there's this difficulty of how on earth you bring somebody to trial because there's uh, no arrest procedure contemplated within the Rome statute. So the cut and paste thing uh, didn't work because they didn't think it through. So the Supreme Court of Appeal had quite some uh, work on its hands and it had to eventually turn its attention to the very clear steps that are demanded of the officials in question. Mm. And that's where all of the real work was done. So all of the rest of the stuff in the judgment, one can actually put it to one side. And as lawyers, we say, uh, what is the ratio? It just means um, what is the part of the judgment that actually did the work? And the work was done by turning to the practical provisions, which say the moment a arrest warrant is issued, it, it will be forwarded to the relevant country's officials. Those officials must forward it to a magistrate in um, their district. That magistrate must endorse that uh, document and issue an arrest warrant which may be executed anywhere in South Africa. Yeah. Once that's done, um, the and the person is arrested and brought before the magistrate, the magistrate is then required to engage in a very straightforward and very limited inquiry, which is is this the person concerned? Um, was he arrested according to the ordinary procedures? And were his rights uh, respected as they are enumerated in the Bill of Rights? End of inquiry. Um, and if that uh, all of those questions are ticked, the magistrate must order his... Um, uh, further detention and surrender. That makes sense. In fact, they went a step further and they said, thinking aloud, in mm. case Zane Dungo is listening. Yes. Um, and they said, someone out there who's clever 
and loves Russia, as yeah. it were, might say, but surely customary international law should override everything that Dr. James Grant has just said. Mm. But actually, we say, the court then says, and then refers specifically to the constitution on this matter. So yeah. go and have a look at your constitution if you love Putin. Our yep. constitution, section 232. Yes. That in fact, it is critically important to realize on yes. this puzzle of what takes priority that the way the officials that James have just described are duty-bound in the minutiae of our law to then make sure that this effectively arrest happens, that you are doing so because the Constitution demands that that is the order in which you give priority to the domesticated yes. law over customary international law. And then it says one thing that I want you to explain. I wasn't sure if this was what yes. you guys in law call um, commentary or obiter or yes. whether this is an important piece of legal reasoning or both, where yes. the court says, in case you wonder whether we are now saying customary international law, like diplomatic immunity never matters, we're not saying that. It does matter, but what we are commending ourselves for is yes. to be so progressive based on 232 of the Constitution yes. as to recognize that we are developing our own local jurisprudence by entrenching local sources of law, including domesticated treaties. I think you would be right to call it uh, obiter dicta. Um, and just to explain, that means that it is commentary which is additional to the findings in uh, a court decision. It's often very, very important and it's critical legal commentary. It can go beyond that and um, describe, often judges proceed on to describe how it is that their judgment will help us develop the sort of society that one would mm. want. Um, but when you have to, for instance, rely on that decision, those discussions or those suggestions or those comments about how it is that this is going to help the world be what or the country be what we would want it to be, those don't count. You can't rely on those. You can only count on the cogs that did the real work. And yeah. so what would happen is that if President Putin were to be arrested uh, and a court was to look back as it would have to to the SCA decision in the Al-Bashir matter, it would be to that section of the judgment where the court said, all right, let's see what practically is required. Mm -hmm. And oh, by the way, all of these things are obligatory uh, and there's very little space for discretion, if any, and it's all must, 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 and must, it will finally be concluded, must arrest Putin. And if you want to, as you say, quite correctly, and this, I think, remains part of the, uh, of, of what, of the work that's done, so part of the ratio, um, by the way, yes, this 
might be uh, contrary to customary international law, but to the extent to which it is, our constitution allows our law to override customary international you know, law where it's it, in conflict. It, 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 it uses the word progressive. Let me quote directly. It mm. says, yeah. what is commendable is that it is a departure in a progressive direction. Yeah. And you know that it's rare for our judges mm. to not intentionally include certain language. What I see in that, and this is me just interpreting for myself mm. as a citizen, mm. it's almost as if the court there for me, James, is saying, you know what, just as we couldn't get rid of every apartheid and colonial era statute, but knew that over time we'll take every opportunity we get as and when a case before us admits mm. us the opportunity, we will make sure that the Constitution, our ultimate guide, is more and more a basis with which to slowly change particular sources of law that haven't been struck from the statute um, deliberately by Parliament. Mm. And that's why we want even the common law to be developed by judges. Yes. And for me, I find echoes in that sentence. It's like a Absolutely. court is saying, we agree and understand politics matter, mm. the way heads of state relate to each other matter. We don't want to mess up in terms of the doctrine of separation of powers. But you politicians invited yeah. us, mandated us to hold you accountable by the lights of the Constitution. And that's what we yes. did. Absolutely. Um, I think it was a commentary on how it is that um, they were able to reach the conclusion that they think is the just and right conclusion. And it's the conclusion which ultimately would, in their view, uh, build a better South Africa. Mm. Second last question. Yes. Does the fact <laughs> that a state didn't comply with its legal obligation to arrest al-Bashir for completeness sake. I, th I think mm. I know the answer, but yeah. maybe there's complexity here too. Mm. Does the fact that we didn't arrest him itself create a precedent that the court may rely on? No, I don't think so, because the precedent was set at a political level, which has no effect in law. Um, no doubt it will have uh, political consequences at the level of if the UN were ever to do to deliberate uh, on uh, the conduct of South Africa or, or the ICC was to have to deliver, deliberate on the conduct of South Africa. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, that's yet to be seen. And what's also, I should add, yet to be seen Besides the very uh, interesting question of, well, how could the court, uh, how could the government possibly avoid this, which I've omitted uh, to to discuss, save to say that it'll be very difficult for the uh, the, the the government to avoid these responsibilities. Um, if he were, uh, if Putin were arrested and presented 
to the ICC. Those issues which we introduced in the beginning, which is uh, the, the, the problem about the sources of law, that remains at large and is yet to be decided upon. And uh, in addition to that, there's an internal conflict within the Rome Statute um, as to, on the one hand, the recognition of um, uh, um, head of state immunity and on the other hand there's a provision which says that uh, which excludes head of state immunity and there's a direct conflict between them which hasn't been reconciled uh, and so if if he were to be arrested and, and surrendered to the ICC uh, you can just imagine that uh, there would be a, a very serious fight uh, about those issues. I saw you highlighting that conflict in your notes online. Yes. Can that be used by a South African government lawyer in a South African domestic case to try and make sure that he doesn't get arrested on South African soil? Or would a South African court say that issue is not a live issue for purposes of whether you should be arrested in Joburg? No, I don't believe so. I expect that uh, any good lawyer would try to make the argument that it's somehow got to be taken into account when uh, in the procedure, in the narrow procedure that's set out in one of those considerations. A good lawyer, I think, would try to import head of state immunity as a ground for um, saying that the individual, the, whoever it is that's arrested, his or her rights weren't uh, respected as laid out in the Bill of Rights. But uh, it's, it's, it's fairly clear that that's out of place. And uh, certainly the SCA uh, dismissed that argument outright. Okay. So the big difficulty is not a reasonable disagreement on that internal conflict in the Rome Statute. The yep. big difficulty is the SCA case remains effective South African law until yep. until a different body, which would have to be the Concord, comes to a different decision. Have to. So that's yep. the important issue. Yes, critical, and uh, your observation is absolutely right. has to be the Concord. And how the government would get there at such short notice, given that we're speaking about August, uh, it would have to do so on an urgent basis. It would, if it tried to avoid it up front, it would have to ask for not only an urgent hearing, but for a declaratory order. Um, all of these things are exceedingly difficult um, to to obtain. You're really uh, on your back foot if you're if you're going mm. to be trying to approach the SCA, and also you'd have to be asking for direct access to the SCA, mm. which again is difficult. Mm. Mm. So yeah, the government's in in an extremely difficult situation. If if of course it wants to avoid James, I have thoroughly enjoyed this lucid, detailed examination of the law. The last question is for the sake of public education. Yes. The debate in South Africa doesn't focus on 90% of what you and I were speaking about. Yeah. It focuses on the politics. Yes. For and against. Yes. 
He's a scoundrel. We must arrest him. We can't forego potential investment from the global north. Um, it's ridiculous that the ANC is romantic about Soviet Russia and ideological affinities that make no economic diplomatic sense to us. Or on the other side, the ICC is inconsistent until Blair or Bush is brought before it. We really should not respect them from a moral point of view. Yeah. What is your commentary as a legal expert? Or what do you want to say to the public just by way of understanding how law fits into our lives when that kind of political debate comes up? Because I can think of possibly, with the exception of constitutional law, mm. no other branch of law is as in, intrinsically overlaid with politics as international law. Absolutely. Um Perhaps I can just share how it is that I had to approach this exercise, which is to remind myself, you've asked for a legal perspective, uh, to remind myself, uh, which follows from the intense training, which is reinforced thoroughly throughout, um, which is that you have to consider the facts and you might be in a position where you need to understand that everybody has their reasons. And uh, this might lead me into some trouble, but I, I have to, as a lawyer, imagine that I was in a position where President Putin was my client, uh, and I would have to approach it from the perspective of uh, he is innocent until proven guilty and you know what even if he's guilty and i've had clients who've confessed to being guilty um, but i've also then gone on to hear that every single one of them still has their reasons um, and what's been fascinating for me uh, and no doubt we'll talk about this sometime, you and I, Eusebius, that every single one of them has reasons which allow them to think that what they did in that moment was the right thing to do. And that, that has terrifying implications. Uh, and it's always disturbed me deeply. Nevertheless, it is the uh, approach that I have to take to be able to set aside all of the other considerations and just focus on what is the legal position. Mm, absolutely. And it's going to be interesting to see what the South African government does with us. They might be able to fob off mm. in the public space a lot of criticism of Russia, but in a court of law, mm. legal adjudication proceeds along a different set of analyses yes and how that plays out is going to be really interesting james every time i speak to you i feel like my iq has increased <laughs> by at least five to ten points thank you so the much for, for me gracing us with your discussions on these finer points of law that intersect in such a complex way with our social and political lives such a pleasure thank you